Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. And not quite. Good afternoon and welcome into the Jordy Holtberg Show right here on The Game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Matt Miguez here. The Game Hotline is 337-706-706. 0111 for the next three and a half hours. My producer and co-host, James Mesh, and I will be with you as we get you set for LSU's elimination game in the College World Series against Tennessee, team that they beat six to three just three nights ago. They fell to Wake Forest last night, three to two, in an absolute thriller of a college baseball game we'll dive deep into that one you'll hear from jay johnson uh, about that game and and we'll kind of talk about you know where they go from here what do the tigers have to do in order to to get back to the championship series because there is a path however it's not going to be an easy one uh so we'll, we'll talk about that we'll talk about the houston astros and how I don't even have words to describe what's going on in H-Town right now. Um, they got to figure it out, and they got to figure it out fast. Trade deadline's coming up. Maybe maybe that's the answer. Maybe they'll find some answers in the trade deadline. I don't really know, um, but, but they're going to have to figure it out. And then we will talk about the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. The NBA draft about 48 hours away. Do the Pelicans stay at 14, or are they going to make a move? Let's bring in my producer and co-host now, Mr. James Mesh. James, happy Tuesday. How are you? Happy Tuesday, man. I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing well. I'd be doing better if LSU was in the driver's seat right now. Right? Man, that was was a frustrating game. As good as the game was, it was still very frustrating to watch it throughout. Look, whether you had a dog in the fight last night or not, that was an incredible college baseball game. One of the best you could ask for. It was a game, like we mentioned yesterday, where these were the only two teams that spent time at number one at any point in the season. These were two of the best pitching staffs in the country, two of the best offenses in the country. And, you know, that's exactly what you had. In the third inning, LSU puts up two with a single from Tommy White to score Josh Pearson, and then he immediately followed that up with a Trey Morgan RBI triple to make it 2 to nothing. And right there after three innings, LSU had all the momentum. And Ty Floyd was dealing. And I do mean dealing. Ten strikeouts through five innings, he was electric. And then in the sixth, something changed. I don't know if it was Ty Floyd got tired. 
I don't know that it was umpires made some horrible calls, and I agree that they did. But look, I've had this conversation on these airways way too many times. I am not going to blame an umpire for the game. If you had opportunities to overcome the terrible calls that umpires made, you can't blame the umpires for the fact that you lost. You just can't. Because as, as good as Ty Floyd had been, yes, that first walk, if you go online and you look at the TrackMan data, the first walk that he issued in the sixth, every ball he called was inside the strike zone. I agree with you. The other two, they were balls. If the ball lands on the line of the strike box, it's the umpire's prerogative on the way he wants to call that. Some guys will call that a strike. Some guys will call that a ball. It just kind of depends on the umpire. Last night, he felt like calling it a ball. We, we, we talk about how we can't lose the human element in baseball, well, there's a positive side to the human element, and then there's also a negative side. You get the good with the bad. You can't you, you can't have everything be sunshine and rainbows. Ty Floyd should have been pulled probably after that second walk. I was looking to get him pulled after the first walk. That's when I that's when I was I was like, you've gone six, you've done good so far. You've kind of seen ticky-tacky calls throughout the contest so far. So it's like after that walk, I kind of get that feeling like, okay, this is where the momentum might shift. So let's let's try to make the switch before and, and, something and I, like what we saw happened. I, I get what you're saying, but from a, stati- a statistics standpoint, it was only his second walk. So, I mean, you can't really argue with that. That was only the second walk he had issued. But would you have argued with Jay Johnson if he made the switch after that first walk? In that moment, probably. Really? Probably, yeah. You got to give him a chance to dig himself out of his own mess. Now, the second walk, when it was four straight balls, then you go, okay, he's clearly he's lost something. Because you could see him. Even when he, he started losing control of the ball. You can mm-hmm. see it. Like it was starting to go high. He even when he got the rosin, it was still going high. Like he was still losing grip of the ball. That second straight walk that that he had, that's when I'd have pulled him. When Jay Johnson came out for a mound visit and did not pull him, that's when I'd have pulled him. I'd have been like, look, man, you've pitched well, but we're losing this. And we have to we have to get it back. That's when I'd have brought Thatcher Hurd in. Because to me, if you are up, say, four or five runs instead of just two, then yeah, I would have done it. But if it's a tight, close game where it's a one, two run game, correct. Then I'm looking at it like this is tight and I, I don't feel like I could take that type of risk. Let me go get Riley. Let me go get Nate. Let me go get someone else to bring him in before like we create a big hole. You know what I mean? And then, so Wake Forest gets the two runs in that inning to tie the game back up. And then in the eighth, 
See, th- this is this is the part of the game last night that they really kind of frustrated me. You get to the eighth inning, and it, it's still a two-two ball game. You get a runner on, and then what ends up happening is you create a runners at the corners with nobody out scenario. Okay, and you have a left-hander coming up. You get a Trey Morgan double. You get the fielding error that helps Travinsky reach. So you have runners at the corners, nobody out. Cade Beloso comes up. Buddy, why aren't you bunting? You're a left-hander. You're naturally going to hit it to the right side of the field. If you lay down a bunt down the first baseline, that run's scoring. Trey Morgan is too fast. That run is scoring. All day, every day. You That first baseman would have had to make one hell of a play to get Trey Morgan out of the plate if you bunted down the first baseline. Why? Why not bunt? You're in a bunting situation. God, give up the double play. I don't care. If you scored the run, it doesn't really matter. Because the way you were pitching at that moment, I think if you had a one-run lead, you'd have been okay. If you'd have scored that one run in the top of the eighth, you know what probably happens? Thatcher Hurd doesn't even come out for the bottom of the eighth. You probably see Gavin Gidry come in. And Gavin Gidry, the way he's been pitching, he probably would have shut the door. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. I can sit here and speculate about what would have happened. But the point is, is when you have runners on the corners with nobody out, you have to score a run. Whatever way possible. You have to score a run. So I didn't agree with the decision to, to let Cade Beloso just hit away. I understand he'd been hitting well. I just, and I know people said, oh, well, he hits it to the right side of the infield. He had, This was the first time all season that he hit it to third base. I get it. But can you really even afford to take that chance? That's the thing that, that stuck with me about last night's game. But there is, there, there are positives to take away. You only used two pitchers. And both guys pitched pretty well for you. So now, tonight, against Tennessee in an elimination game, you have nine pitchers that are available for you. Fully available. I would say you have ten, with one of them being available if you, oh my God, have to. And that one guy being Paul Skeens. When tonight... And you create a very interesting scenario. Because James, I I don't know if you'll agree with me with what I'm about to say. I think LSU was the better team last night. For nine innings, I think LSU was the better team last night. Yeah, you felt like if the calls at the plate would have been maybe slightly different, a couple more strikes instead of them being balls, you felt like this could have been a completely different ball game. I do kind of look at it, however... Ty Floyd had a couple of times where he lost control toward the end 
of the ball and it ended up being high for balls. But there were times, like remember in left field, the left field guy, he kind of lost it in the sun. Mm-hmm. So that was that kind of really created an opportunity. A couple of guys, even on the fielding area with Travinsky, he had lost the ball. It was like guys were just losing the ball. So it was like I think it was a it was a back and forth game where really came down to one play. I don't know if I can necessarily say wholeheartedly LSU was for sure the better team. I would probably give him maybe a slight edge. But they did they did have a lot of golden opportunities. I, I think the biggest difference in last night's game was Wake Forest made the plays when they needed to. Yeah. You may they they were able to score that run in the eighth inning. And that one also was another one since when you had watched it, the batter, he took a timeout. I know mm-hmm. I felt like I had never seen that many timeouts from a baseball game in a while. Like it felt like everyone was taking a timeout, whether it was a to talk to the pitcher or whether it was batters or the runners on base. It felt like everyone was taking timeouts, especially toward the end. But the batter, their catcher, Lee. Yeah, Bennett Lee. Bennett Lee, he had he had seen one pitch. And went to go talk to coach, mm-hmm. and then was laughing. And then the very next pitch, boom! Oh, the, gets, I mean, they, gets the RBI. It's like, oh, they abso- they absolutely saw something. Oh yeah, he saw um, something. He's like, check this out, coach. I got this. Bennett Lee, by the way, a, a two lane transfer in, into Wake Forest. Um, but look, Wake Forest is a great team. I'm not going to take anything away from them. They're 54 and 10, and number one in the country for a reason. Uh, but this is not a road that LSU hasn't been down before. And this is not a road that they can't conquer. You beat Tennessee tonight. You beat Wake Forest tomorrow. You beat Wake Forest on Thursday. And you're in the championship series. Now, how do you do that is another interesting question. Tonight, I think you see either Javen Coleman or Riley Cooper start. If everything goes well, Maybe you just use those two guys tonight and that's it. Because then that creates, you, you've got eight or nine guys again that are available for you tomorrow, including Paul Skeens. I'll, I'll, I'll share my, my idea about Paul Skeens' use over the next couple of days here in just a little bit. We'll take a timeout when we return. We'll talk about that and you'll hear from head coach Jay Johnson right here on The Game. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The community is invited to join the Bayou Vermilion District's Vermilionville as they celebrate their annual Acadian Culture Day on Sunday, August 15th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. The annual event will feature live music, a parade, art displays, cooking, accordion construction, and repair, wood carving, open hearth cooking, and other demonstrations. The admission is free, and for more information about Acadian Culture Day, you can call 337-233-4077. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Hello. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 220, almost 221. Welcome back to the Jordy Holberg Show right here on the game. 
Matt and me guys, James Mesh filling in for the Blonde Bomber. All right, James. If you look at LSU baseball, Paul Skeens is going to be a guy that is always going to give you a chance to win. And in a situation like this, if, if we're if we're quite frank, you need him. Not going to necessarily say that you need him tonight against Tennessee because I think you can beat Tennessee without him. I do, especially since your offense didn't live up to its expectation last night. It show, History shows they're going to show up tonight. So I think your offense can carry you to a win tonight. However, tomorrow against Wake Forest creates an interesting scenario. So here's my thought. Now, before I get into this, I, I want to preface this by saying I know that bullpen pitches and game pitches are different. But at the end of the day, a pitch is a pitch. It's all the same. They're a little different, but they're kind of the same. Every starting pitcher throws a bullpen session in the middle of the week in between starts to keep their arm loose, stay in a rhythm, all that stuff. Typically, a bullpen session is anywhere from 50 to 75 pitches, probably closer to 60. So instead of Paul Skeens throwing a bullpen session this week, you put him in the game. Why not start him Wednesday night for... Four innings. Well, of course, if you that that is if you win tonight. Of course. Why not let him throw 50, 60 pitches? Use it as his bullpen. Because then what that does is if you use it as his bullpen and you make it to the championship series, he's still going to be available to pitch on Saturday night. Because it's no different than what he's done during the week. You need to pitch Paul Skeens as often as possible, safely. Not asking you to ruin the kid's career. Because as much as we like to build up national championships in the College World Series, in Paul Skeens' mind, there's more important things. Would he love to put a national championship on his resume? Absolutely. But what would he rather have? A national championship ring or millions? Millions. So, you, you can't jeopardize the kid's career. But, if you can figure out a way to safely pitch him three times during the College World Series, I think you have to. Especially now in the situation that you are in. I think you have to. Now, if you would have won last night, much different story. Much different story. I don't think you would have seen Paul Skeens until the championship series if you'd have won last night. Because you would do tomorrow night what you're doing tonight. Riley Cooper, Javen Coleman, Nate Ackenhausen, Gavin Guidry, a bullpen game. But now I, I think that your plan has to change just a little bit. Because now there's no... Oh, well, we can wait for this game. No, you can't. You you don't have the opportunity of waiting anymore. You're out of insurance. You're, you're out of insurance. You're out of time. You are backed into the corner, and 
the machetes coming at you. I, I don't know. That that's a little violent, but Ten- get, Tennessee's looking for the revenge. You get my point. Tennessee's looking for the revenge, and even if you win tonight, you would have to face Wake Forest twice, correct, in order to get to the championship round. You're, so you're gonna have to play three games, and the likelihood that you would have to go through all three games without Paul Skeens—that's a really tough ask. It's zero. It's a really you, tough ask. You will use Paul Skeens once. In those three games. You're going to have to. And, and and to be honest, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Ty Floyd threw over 100 pitches last night. I would say, to be honest, Ty Floyd's probably available at some point. But I, I don't I don't know about that. That might be a stretch. Thatcher Hurd's available. Thatcher Hurd may be available in some capacity tonight. Honestly. He only threw three innings. Um, I mean, in those three innings, he did throw 65 pitches. But I, I think, and and again, LSU has not, they've been in this situation before. They've been in this situation this season, not on this stage, but there have been six different instances this season where LSU has lost either one game or two games and has responded with three or more consecutive wins. It's happened six different times this year. The longest one came in the early part of the season. Remember when they dropped their first game to Iowa in the Round Rock Classic and everybody thought the sky was falling? And after that, LSU ripped off 13 straight wins? Or, you know, when when Paul Skeens had that dominant performance against Arkansas, but when he came off the field, Arkansas ripped off like eight runs in extra innings? LSU ripped off five straight wins after that. Or so far in the postseason, before last night, they were 6-0. LSU has been in this position before, and they've crawled their way out of it before. Even when you go back to 2017, last time LSU was in the championship series of the College World Series, they were in this scenario. They won their first game, lost their second one, and had to win three straight. And they did it. Now, granted, they ended up losing the national championship game. But you made it to the championship series. That's the goal right now. Right now, that is the goal. You can worry about winning a national championship once you get to the championship series. Right now, you have to get there. Let's go to the game hotline. T, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Matt? How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Well, not so good. No. Uh, uh, terrible, yeah, no, I, uh, I, I get you. I get you. So what you got? That? Yeah, uh, don't take this the wrong way, because I love your show, but I can't wait till Monday, because I hate Jim Rome that much. So <laughs> I love your show, my buddy. And since 103, since its inception, I've asked that I I would tell Ben Love all the time on bumper to bumper, let's get rid of that. Just put all our guys during the day. So finally, my wish is coming true. Yeah, so it is. That's a good thing. And uh, no, last night, man, uh, everything factored in. The umpire, the the Trey Morgan, a ball hit the third. They teach you at, at in T-ball, you don't go unless it's in the hole or they throw the first. That's T-ball stuff. 
right yeah. or wrong? No, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, but uh, according to both Trey Morgan and Jay Johnson after the game, the, the, the call was you go no matter what. Okay, so it's not the third base coach that sent him in? No, it was Jay Johnson. Okay. Jay Johnson gave him the signal before the at bat and said, "You go on contact." Okay. So I'm good with that. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't the, know if he went on his own or the coach sent him. But no, the, 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 the signal the, the signal that Trey Morgan was given was to go on contact. Okay, I'm good with that. Uh, we'll just have to play a little better tonight. That's for sure. Yep. We need to hit. Dylan Cruz can't go over four. No, he cannot. No, he cannot. Uh, Jobert can't go over whatever he was. Jordan Thompson uh, can't yeah. strike out four times. That's right. That's right. Uh, but it's baseball, so we got to live with that. And I'm not going to blame the umpire. Or, you know, yeah, he made some horrible non calls. I saw the uh, chart this morning mm-hmm. on how many were strikes and. But, like I said, that's baseball, and like you said, the human end. Yep, no, I agree with you 100%, T. Look, man, I appreciate the call. Hey, go Tigers. Now, and the the, the one thing that I want to tack on to, to what T was saying, LSU struck out 13 times last night. That cannot happen again. That cannot. You will not win. Jordan Thompson cannot be 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Dylan Cruz cannot be 0 for 4 with his only plate appearance being a, uh, or his only on base appearance being a walk. Tommy White is going to have to be better. Now he he did deliver one of the two RBIs. You you just have to find Braden Jobert is going to have to be better. Travinsky is going to have to be better. Every, everybody's going to have to be better. The only guy that I think played well last night at the plate was Trey Morgan. Yeah, because Trey had the double and had the RBI triple. I mean. Real quickly, uh, before we take a timeout, Jay Johnson, after the game last night, talked about the Trey Morgan play. Or actually, before we get to that, let's do Trey Morgan's clip. What did you see that made you want to go home in the eighth inning? Yeah, um, we were in... Uh, red, which means I go on contact. As soon as the ball was hit, I uh, took off. I knew he was going to have like an awkward throw, so I kind of tried to get a little bit uh, over to get in the way, but um, he made a great play. And then here is Jay Johnson's explanation of the scenario. No, it's a it's a ground ball. We are going because if he doesn't go, then we're going to hit into a double play, and it makes it really difficult. Now you have a man on third standing there with um, two outs. Now you need a base hit. So it's, it's very simple baseball, actually. And again, I mean, I don't know that Cade Veloso's hit a ground ball to third base the entire season. And so you have to tip your hat to Massey for executing the 2-0 pitch that he did and got him to swing through, and then the 2-1 pitch. Coach, you can give credit to Massey all you want. Lay down a bunt. Lay down a bunt. You can still execute the go-on contact. You score the run. Bunt. I'm not a baseball coach. I don't make $1.2 million. So I'm not going to completely argue with Jay Johnson, but I also kind of am. Bunt. 
But I, I, I digress. Today's a new day. We'll take a timeout. Brett Chancey joins us next to talk about what the hell's going on in Space City. We'll do that next. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back for 237, almost 238 here on the Jordy Holberg Show inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Houston Astros. I'm going to say something that might not surprise you up to this point. They lost again. The New York Mets took them down 11-1 to last night uh, to make the streak five straight losses now. They are 7-11 and in the month of June, and they've lost 11 of their last 15. Yeah, I, I, I did not stutter there. 11 of their last 15. Brett Chancey, my guy. What the hell is going on? Man, your guess is as good as mine. You know, we can automatically default to Jordan's not in the lineup, or maybe Jordan was not just 20% of the lineup, but 90% of the lineup because they are they're one they're wandering through the wilderness without a leader. Like you know, we need this team to step up. And um, I went on TikTok and compared it to, said, hey, let's look at the Reds, what they're doing. Ellie De La Cruz, the baby Reds. Joey Votto comes back, gives them a shot in the arm. They've won nine in a row. Who's our guy? Who's our young? Is Yanir Diaz that guy? Is, you know, who's in the clubhouse that's that guy? And right now, I don't know where to go to for that. It should be Bregman. It should be Altuve. Is there a team meeting? In order, um, it, it just seems like right now they're deflated. You know, they say hitting is contagious. Well, so is losing, and they just seem to be scrapping. Your four guys that are out there in the lineup every day: Tucker, Altuve, Bregman, and these guys should be getting it done. Pena, and they're just simply not executing. See, that was going to be my next question. You, you brought up the phrase "wandering through the wilderness without a leader." Where, where's Jose Altuve? Where's Alex Bregman? Where's Kyle Tucker? Where's Martin Maldonado? Now, granted, yeah, exactly. granted, in, in Martin's scenario, you, you don't really expect a whole lot of offense out of him. But where's the leadership? Yeah, where's the team meeting at? Where's the you know Michael Brantley supposed to be coming back soon? Are they waiting on that? I don't know. It just seems like they're playing uninspired baseball. What I want is I want, and, and I don't think Dusty would ever do this. I need a Billy Bean style, someone, Dana Brown or Billy Bean, or, or I'm sorry, or Dusty Baker going to the locker room, pick up a bat and go, losing's fun. I need someone to take a bat to some Gatorade coolers, flip over a training table, wreak havoc in the locker room, yeah. tell them somebody step up. If you don't step, you go 0 for 4, you're sitting. But if you go 4 for 4, we're going to play you the next game. Maybe if they would stop sitting there four for four guys, 
maybe the guys could get heated up. That's a frustration, not only in my mind, but I know in the mind of Astros fans across this country. And, you know, after starting off hot, look, I mean, I'm not going to say that Hunter Brown's become a bad pitcher, but, you know, your younger guys that were, were looking really good at the start, Hunter Brown, J.P. France, kind of fallen off. Framber Valdez hasn't been stellar as of late. What's it going to take? And the thing, the thing that I probably find the most frustrating, Brett, is you look at this homestand that you have gone two and five on thus far. You're not playing good teams. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, Red, the Reds are surging, but they weren't good coming into Houston. The Nationals are terrible. The Mets aren't great either. Like, you're not playing the best of the best here. You know, this is this is what I think, or this is what I hope happens as a result of this. They start figuring things out mentally. They start dissecting, like, when Hunter Brown throws four fastballs to Francisco Lindor, who's hitting 257 on the fastball and 147 on breaking pitches, and you don't throw him a single breaking pitch, and then he hits his 13th home run of the year, a guy who's hitting 212, and I don't even know what his on-base or his OPS is, but it can't be great. But Lindor's striking out a lot, and they've got to start maybe reverse game planning. Okay, who do we know is going to be their force in the back end and work backwards? But you need to reward your guys that are hot with playing time. You don't need to do things. Look, I love Corey Jolks. He's a local kid. You want to see local stories do great. But he's not your leadoff hitter. He should not be leading off. And for all intents and purposes, I'm coming around to Martin Maldonado does not need to be starting the majority of the game at catcher. Diaz needs to be the catcher. Diaz needs to start working with these pitchers. Maybe a switch in the catching spot will change the mentality of these pitchers. Maybe Martin can coach him up some more on game planning and then let Yiner Diaz take a little bit more ownership of these starts. I just something's got to something different has got to happen. But the problem is is the problem Dusty Baker. And there's radio stations in Houston saying should they talk about firing Dusty Baker? I mean, people are really trying to look for any kind of answer. And I don't know that firing people is the answer here. Flat out, they've got to perform better. They've got to refocus and go out like tomorrow's their last game. Like if they don't win, to, if they don't win tonight, they don't play the rest of the year. Every day needs to be do or die, hundred percent. Leave it all out on the field. Chatting with Brett Chancy, host of Locked On Astros, here on the Jordy Holberg Show. So tonight, you're going to have a homecoming of sorts. You're going to have Framber versus JV. Just kind of talk about that pitching matchup and, and, you know, what kind of reception Verlander could get inside the juice box. Oh, well, um, I was there last night, and they did a little video presentation to him. They gave him his ring. Um, I mean, standing ovation. Everybody loves Justin Verlander. There's a lot of people in Houston that think he should go in Cooperstown as an Astro because he got his two World Series titles here. We kind of put a bow on his career. And it's bittersweet watching him. We hope that he, when he's susceptible to the long ball, we hope he gives up that long ball tonight. I think Framber's the perfect counter to Justin Verlander. I think Framber pitches a lot better at home. He's more comfortable. And if Framber can settle in, if the Astros can hit pitches and be smart and selective at the plate, 
and take him deep, put some crooked numbers up early, then I think the Astros can pace themselves in front of the Mets and Framber can lock things down from the pitching mound. Because this Mets team, is this, that was like their fourth win in June or something like that. I mean, they haven't won a lot of games. You know, looking at the Astros now, 39 and 34, they're third in the AL West behind Texas and the Angels, which that hurts to say. Um, n- neither one of those teams should be above you. But the the, the first, the, the biggest question that I have, and I've asked it to several people throughout the week, why does it take so long for Alex Bregman to come out? You know, I don't, that is, that is the million dollar question. I, I have no idea for a guy that is a lab guy. He is a, he's a batting cage rat. He is a baseball nerd. Like he's a student of the game, right? All the cliches you want to use. He's the guy that's got the bravado and the moxie that takes his, his attitude to other ball clubs. And he's the player you love to hate. I have no clue. I don't know if it's, if it's the way he, I don't, I don't know if it's his swing. I don't know if it's the mechanics. I don't know if it's a mental thing for him, but it is, it is really, really odd that, oh, he's a slow starter. You would think you would be able to adjust your training to be able to get that ramped up. And for whatever reason, you know, he, he changed his stance a little bit and he started getting hot and then boom, he's gone over and he's, he's, you know, hitting the ball either flat into the ground or popping it up. He's just not barreling baseballs. Um, we haven't seen the MVP Alex Bregman consistently enough, and we need to see that near MVP Alex Bregman like right now. Like we need him yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not asking for the guy to play at an MVP level for 162 games. That's just not right. Li- that's just not realistic. But every single year, it takes till July for him to get going, and I'm just. Why why can't you turn it on in May? Yeah, maybe he needs to, you know, and look, this is coming from someone who did not play professional baseball, so I'm not – I wouldn't dare tell Alex Bregman how to do his job. But maybe the way he does things, he needs to prepare differently. Maybe the way he prepares creates that slow start. I don't know. I'm not in the lab with him. I'm not in the batting cages. I don't train with him. And, and – and I don't think it's for a lack of heart or lack of hustle. It's just this anomaly. It's just this weird thing that kind of like as soon as the sun comes up in the morning, Alex Bregman's going to start slow on the season. Now, you brought up Bregman being a, being a cage rat. That's absolutely true. Uh, he, he is the reason that LSU has key cards to, to get into their facility now because he would call the equipment managers at 1 o'clock in the morning asking them to come open up the batting cage. No, yeah, and see, I was we. I actually lived in Zachary, Louisiana, when he was at LSU, and I remember watching him play, not even really knowing who he was his freshman year, and I heard all those stories about him. He's there like all hours, and you know, I don't know, but I promise you, he's just as frustrated, if not more, than than the fan base is by that. Now, lastly, tonight uh, against the Mets, one of your last home games b- before you go on a a rough 10-game road trip. Uh, what, what, what do the Astros have to do to carry some momentum in with these final two games before they hit the road? Well, um, I haven't seen the lineup for tonight, but I think Diaz should absolutely start a catch with these next two games. 
Um, I think you don't have any – I think you got to put Pena in the two-hole. You do not put Abreu fourth. Um, you, you start Myers in center field. You put Dubon in left, or you put Dubon DH. Dubon has to be in this lineup. And you have to um, – look, if it means sitting Abreu for a game and putting Diaz at first, I'm okay with that. Catch him one game, put him at first. But don't just DH a kid. Let him be a part of the team. Let him be in the mix. And I think if they do that, put some crooked numbers up, put pressure on the pitching early, I think we can see a little bit of a turnaround, maybe take two of three on the road. You need at least to win that last game at home before you leave. 7-10 first pitch tonight, pregame at 6-40, and you can catch it on our sister station, News Talk 98.5. Brett Chancy, host of the Locked On Astros, joining us here on the Jordy Holtberg Show. Brett, appreciate your time as always, man, and uh, we'll talk soon. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, guys. Go Astros. And there he goes, Brett Chanty. We'll take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one of the Jordy Holtberg Show right after this. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you're looking for great deals, then look no further than AcadianaDeals.com. Plenty of two-for-one deals available for you right now, including a $30 voucher to La Hacienda for only $15, a $15 voucher to Pizza Artista for only $7.50, and a $40 voucher to Misfits Dine and Drink for $20. Once again, head to AcadianaDeals.com to take advantage of these deals and so many more. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Oh, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Wrapping up our number one here of the Jordy Holtberg Show. Continuing the conversation with LSU baseball, Jay Johnson, when he spoke with the media post game, put it very simply that it was a great college baseball game. Yeah, I think um, it'd be very easy to uh, crawl into a hole with disappointment. That was a great college baseball game that we came up on the short end of the stick. Um, you know, it really came down to. Um, Wilkin hit a ball up the middle with no outs and got the guy in from third, and then he made a heck of a play on that play, and um, and then they got a RBI hit um, there in the eighth, and and we didn't when we had our our one chance right there. Um, so that could be deflating, but I shared with them two things. Number one, I've had a team in this position before, lost a one-zero heartbreaker to Oklahoma State and won three consecutive games to play for a national championship. Then the very next year, this program did the same thing, and they beat probably one of the best teams in modern college baseball history twice to get that opportunity. And I have all the faith in the world and our team that we can do that. So let's stick to what we do. And if we do that well, then uh, we'll be in a good spot. So you have all the faith in the world that is going to get done. What will it take for you guys to bounce back from an offensive perspective? Yeah, I mean, the, the teams that are here, you know, uh, particularly the two that we've played, uh, are they're the two premier pitching staffs in college baseball, and uh, you know Josh Hartle's really good, really good, and um, you know preparing for this game, you know we knew he would present a challenge, and I, I thought our guys battled him pretty good. I thought they did. Yeah, I mean he's really hard to square up. Um, 
he executed pitches, you know, down in the zone, both sides of the plate, you know, as, as Trey mentioned. And we put some pressure on him. Um, it wasn't a great night to hit either with the wind blowing in and uh, a good pitcher going. And we benefited from that early in the game, too, with Ty. Um, but I have zero concerns about these guys preparing well, coming in and competing and executing our plan. We're going to have to do it against Drew Beam, who's one of the best pitchers in the country. And um, so it'll be a really good challenge, and uh, we're going to have to be ready for it. We'll Drew Beam. Up here. Drew Beam will start against Tennessee for Tennessee. We are still awaiting the official announcement of who will start for LSU. My guess would probably have to be Riley Cooper, uh, maybe Javen Coleman. Uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those two guys. Maybe you even go Christian Little. I don't know. Uh, you haven't seen him in quite a while, uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see where what direction Jay Johnson wants to head in. Once again. Pre-game, 5.30. First pitch set for 6. You can hear it right here on the game. LSU needs a win to stay alive in what is being referred to as the greatest show on dirt in the College World Series up in Omaha. That'll do it for hour number one of the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hour number two, we'll talk with Bob Rose about the New Orleans Saints, and we'll kick off kick off hour number two with Blake Rafino of the Are You Serious Sports Network right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Live and local, this is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. It's time for two hours of the best sports talk on the airwaves. Here's your host, the Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holtberg. It's hour number two of the Jordy Holtberg Show right here on The Game. It's 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. In hour number one, we recapped LSU's heartbreaking loss to Wake Forest last night and where they kind of go from here. And we also talked about the Houston Astros and how they can figure things out. Um, all baseball in hour number one. We'll, we'll get to basketball and football here in hour number two. We'll also talk some baseball, too. Uh, I, I want to start hour number two talking about the New Orleans Pelicans. There have been plenty of rumors about what the Pelicans are going to do. It's clear and obvious that they want Scoot Henderson. In order to do that, though, you're going to have to move up to at least the number three pick. But to be safe, why don't you just go ahead and get to number two? But how do you do that? It's going to have to involve either Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram. So the conversation has been for the last week or so, which one would you rather give up? Now, some people think that the Brandon Ingram talk is just a ploy to drive the price down on Zion. I don't know that I buy that. Even with all of his off-the-court issues, I still believe that long-term Zion Williamson makes more sense for you. Now, that that's no disrespect to Brandon Ingram. I love Brandon Ingram and his game. 
I just think that the Pelicans are better off for the long run with Zion Williamson. Now, some people are arguing that the best thing for the Pelicans to do is to keep everything how it is. They just need to be healthy. That's really asking for a lot. It's asking for a lot. So some people believe that the Pelicans are best suited with the lineup that they currently have. Some days I would agree with that. But more days than not, I would disagree. Now, in order to get Scoot Henderson, like I mentioned, you're going to have to give up somebody big. But here's the biggest caveat, James. The draft's in 48 hours. Well, really 52. But two days from now, you're running out of time to make a move. What are you going to do? Make a draft night splash? Which I think is a real possibility. Like an, an hour before the draft? Oh, the Pelicans now have the number two pick. Or you see Wimby go first and then Hornets while they're on the clock at number two. You see a trade like you would see in the NFL. I think that's another real possibility of this is my last chance. Let me throw my chips on the table to get to Scoot. Okay, so what's the trade package? B.I. and the 14th? Right, because Charlotte likes B.I. more than... Correct. So you would, my, my, you would my trade B.I. My thought process is... The, the rumor is that Charlotte wants Brandon Miller more than they want Scoot Henderson. Right? That's That's been the thought. But if you're the Pelicans, and if you're that dialed in on Scoot Henderson, just go get the number two pick and avoid the, oh my God, are they going to pick Scoot? Are we going to be stuck with taking Brandon Miller? Not that that's a bad thing, but if Scoot's the guy you want, make it happen. Go get the number two pick and just avoid that. Right, because once you get to number three, if Scoot's still there, he's gone. They know who you're going to go for. Correct. So it's like they're going to command just about the same amount as you probably would have to get with the number two pick. Correct. Give up B.I. <sighs> Give up Jackson Hayes and one of your million seconds. Or two of your million seconds. My, my point. My, my point. Hold on to the number fourteen pick if you can. I don't think that's likely, but if you're giving up Brandon Miller, I don't think that you have to put in a first round pick as well. Or not Brandon Miller, Brandon Ingram. If you're giving up Bi, I don't think you have to put a first round pick in the deal in order for it to get done. I think you can hold on to fourteen. You would just have to give extras, which is why I mentioned Jackson Hayes. And, I mean, offload two or three of those second rounders. I mean, how often do second rounders truly work out? I mean, yes, right now you've seen a couple, Nikola Jokic. Obviously, the Miami Heat are, are, are doing some magic with some second rounders and undrafted guys. But, like, realistically, second rounders don't work out that often. Um. So offload some of those picks, Jackson Hayes, Bi. I truly think that's enough. And then you can go get Scoot Henderson. You could pick up a, a three or a four. 
with the number 14 pick. A lot of people like Keontae George out of Duke. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think he's a great player. And continue to put young talent in New Orleans. Because that's what it's going to take here. You're going to have to get young guys that are willing to mix with veterans. Your your Jonas Valanciunas, your Garrett Temple of the world. You keep Garrett Temple around as as a veteran presence. That's just that's what you do. And then you maybe go acquire a veteran guard. I I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of things that the Pelicans still need. And I'm really just not sure that trading for Scoot Henderson fixes it. Like, okay, say say you trade B.I. and you get Scoot. Well, great, now you got C.J., Scoot, and Zion. But is that enough? Does that win you a championship? Does that make you a championship contender? Like, you need more than that. But what? Right? That, that That's the question. Because today's NBA, we, we, we say it all the time that it's a positionless game now. Everybody does everything. So, you, you sit here and go, I know the Pelicans are missing something, but I can't figure out what. Obviously, they're missing three-point shooting. Because uh, outside of Trey Murphy, they weren't great. But who who do you go get in free agency? That's a shooter. Like there's there's so many questions that the Pelicans are going to have to answer this offseason. and with all the drama right now surrounding Zion Williamson, it's not helping anything. Guys aren't going to want to come play. And it's not necessarily they're not going to come want to they're not going to want to come play with Zion, they're not going to want to come play with that drama, where your teammate is constantly in the news. So I think the Pelicans have to figure out a way to get that under control, and then they need to address shooting. I would have loved to see the Pelicans find a way to get Bradley Beal. That is off the table. Maybe go draft a shooter. James, I mean, if you're if you're the Pelicans, if you're the Pelicans GM, what what's the biggest move for you? You know, where where do you see the biggest need for the Pelicans and how do they fix it? Well, I was looking at NBA free agents. And one of the guys that caught my eye that would not really cost too, too much for you that would help with your shooting is getting the other Curry brother. Ooh, Seth. It's Seth. That's interesting. Because it's not like it's going to take a whole bunch to get him. No, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Cause that yeah, way, it shouldn't. Because that way, he, he he's still kind of like definitely a veteran, but he's not super duper old or on his last legs. But even then, if he's a shooter, Correct. it's not like he's jumping up and down like he would Zion and have to worry about those type of injuries. Yeah, Seth Seth Curry could be interesting uh, because again, that addresses a shooting need. It's not going to cost you a lot of money. Um. So realistically, right now, say you make the trade for Scoot Henderson, 
your starting five is Scoot, Scoot, CJ, Trey, move Trey or Herb, just or depending, Herb, depending on what kind of lineup you're trying to go for that and then, night, and, and then Zion, Jonas. Is that your five? Seems like it. It's just who is going to back up? Who would who would be in place of the four whenever you don't have Zion on the court? Well, it depends. Do you move on from Jackson Hayes? Is Jackson Hayes included in the Scoot Henderson deal? Because if he is, then I'm not really sure. Maybe you maybe you play Herb Jones as a small four. I'm I, I don't like it, but his defense is is killer. That that's Najee Marshall. Does Najee Marshall back up Zion and play the four? There, there's, there are so many inconsistencies with this franchise that, again, you can go acquire a high-caliber player like Scoot Henderson and pair him with Zion Williamson. Go and get, that's, that's go, fine and dandy. Go get Dario Saric. Oh, yes. Go get Dario Saric. Be a backup. You're being serious. To be the backup. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Anyways, moving on, moving away from the NBA for just a second. Y'all remember the guy by the name of Billy Napier? It, it wasn't that long ago that that he was turning the Louisiana Raging Cajuns into a winner. Um, he is bawling over in Gainesville over the last couple of days. Five-star edge rusher Jamonte Waller committed to Florida yesterday, becoming the eighth commitment in 72 hours for Billy Napier and his staff. So with those eight commitments over the weekend, Florida's recruiting class, James, has jumped from number 22 to number three for the class of 2024. That's pretty impressive. And now people are starting to see, you know, when Billy Napier first took the Florida job and things didn't go well this year, oh, he can't win in the SEC. He doesn't know how to coach in the SEC. You got to give him time. I said it the day he got hired. If you give him three years... He's going to turn Florida around. Now, am I I saying that he's going to win a national championship in Florida? No. I don't know that. But he will put Florida back in contention to win the SEC. I think he he can make Florida a top five team in the SEC. So, look, this is just proof that, that he can recruit in the SEC and he can create a team that could be competitive um, and I'm happy about it so good for Billy again eight recruits in 72 hours is just wild but anyways four six three sixteen we'll take a timeout here and when we return Bob Rose of the Saints News Network is going to join us to talk OTAs and some all-season headlines right here on the game.
This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, not to worry. The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. As a member of our awards club, you'll have the opportunity to score a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so go sign up today. It's time for Jordy to march into some New Orleans Saints talk with Saints News Network's Bob Rose. Here is the Black and Gold Report with Bob Rose. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Well, it's not Jordy, but it's still the Black and Gold Report. Bob Rose, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Matt, I'm doing well, and thank you for having me on with you. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So, minicamp wraps up for the New Orleans Saints. There were a lot of headlines to take away, and you know the one that I want to start with is Chris Olave. You know, you hear all the time in the NFL that you know, after a great rookie season, guys are prone for a sophomore slump. And obviously, he hasn't played a game yet, so he very well could have a sophomore slump. But he looked fantastic in that three-day minicamp. Yeah, he really did. And it, it, given his style of play uh, and uh, what a good, well-rounded receiver it is, it's hard to envision Chris Olave having a slump uh, you know, outside of injuries, knock on wood, of course. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, he, he's more than just a deep threat, and maybe someone should tell that to the national media because the na- most of the national media thinks that uh, Olave seems to be a one-trick pony. But if you watched Chris play last year like we did, you know that he's a terrific route runner. He is very, very good after the catch, uh, you know, has terrific awareness, uh, and really became a better receiver down the stretch uh, when a lot of rookie receivers or rookie, rookie players, period, kind of hit a wall. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, I, I know Chris got nicked up with injuries a little bit down the stretch, uh, and, and that allowed Rashid Shaheed to emerge even more so. Uh, you know, but both of those rookies, uh, you know, they, they just they, they played very, very well for a Saints offense that was very limited last year, uh, you know, due to injuries along the line, quarterback play, uh, you know, and lack of weapons outside of those two players at receiver. So, you know, because of the addition of Derek Carr and the presumed health of, uh, you know, so many additional weapons that the Saints have added this offseason, I think Chris Olave is, you know, not only in for a big sophomore year, uh, but a very, very good NFL career. Now, you talked about the Saints' offense being limited last year, and I, and I certainly agree with you. This season, though, you have a new quarterback. You have a a healthy Alvin Kamara to partner with a new Jamal Williams, and then you have a slew of wideout and tight end weapons to work with. What is the you know potential for, for this offense from last year to this year? I'll tell you what, uh, I think the sky is the limit. Uh, I I would be shocked to see any the same kind of uh, historic producti- productivity that we saw from you know, the Drew Brees, Sean Payton offenses back in their prime, mainly because you have to look at who's the head coach. I mean, Dennis Allen isn't going to want to completely cut it loose, uh, but you just – 
Due to the weapons that you said, you know, Alave, Shahid, uh, you know, hopefully Michael Thomas can stay healthy. Uh, you got Jawan Johnson, a very underrated receiving tight end, and obviously Kamara, uh, and, and the all purpose, a jack of all knives, uh, you know, trade, uh, Taysom Hill back. In addition to Jamal Williams and what I think is a, a very underrated signing in Foster Moreau, they cabbed the quarterback that they wanted for their system, for Pete Carmichael's system. So that's the guy that they wanted to to run this show um and I, I expect this to be a top 10 offense. Uh, and, and they have so many ways they can beat you. They can beat you. I, I think Dennis Allen still wants to play a relatively conservative on offense. Uh, you know, could not necessarily run heavy, but definitely control the football, control the time of possession. But this team has the weapons and the quarterback to be able to open it up and win shootouts if necessary, too. So you know, I do expect them to be top 10, uh, you know, in point production and total yardage. They might be somewhere between 12 and 15 in both running the ball and passing the ball due to the balance that we that I expect them to have. Uh, but I, I think that this is finally an offense that can beat you in multiple ways, uh, you know, something that we haven't seen from the Saints on that side of the ball for probably three or four years now. Now, with Derek Carr, you talked about how this was the, the quarterback that the Saints ha- have been looking for and, you know, I actually talked about this yesterday. Since Drew Brees has retired, you had a mixture of Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton, Ian Book, Trevor Simeon, Taysom Hill. <laughs> it wasn't good, and you never made the, you never made the playoffs on, under any of those quarterbacks at any given point. Now that Derek Carr is in New Orleans – and has weapons around him, and has a coaching staff around him. Is he going to be? I'm not going to say he's going to, you know, have a Drew Brees type career with New Orleans, but is he the guy that the Saints have been trying to fill the void that Drew Brees left with? Absolutely, I think so, Matt. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you, you go all the way back to to Dennis Allen when he was the coach of the Raiders. He, he's the guy that drafted Derek Carr out of Fresno State, uh, and the two of them have had a close relationship since. So there's a comfort level there, uh, similar to the type of comfort level that we quickly saw as, uh, get established between Peyton and Breeze back in 2006. Uh, you know, and, and when a coach is comfortable with his quarterback, that allows uh, that that allows so much more openness to the offense, especially in big situations, because you know, with, uh, with openness, uh, with that kind of openness becomes trust. And we already know the kind of player that Derek Carr is. Uh, you know, he, he's a clutch player. Uh, I believe he le- leads the league in comeback or fourth quarter comeback victories uh, you know, over the last five years or so. Or if he doesn't lead the NFL, he's certainly right up there. Uh, you know, so that's the kind of quarterback that they can feel, the, uh, Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael can feel comfortable with in crucial situations where they're not. And I, I don't know about you. I felt like the coaches handcuffed this offense just as much as the talent, uh, you know, and the injuries did on the field, uh, for the last couple of years. And that's not, I, I would be surprised if that continued to be the case with Derek Carr because again, this is, this is the quarterback that Allen, Carmichael, Mickey Loomis, and this staff handpicked to run this system. So that means that they identified Derek as the guy 
that can do everything that they want to do in Pete Carmichael's system, which, of course, is the system that Drew Brees thrived in for so many years. Now, like you said, Carr is no Brees, but I do expect an uptick in in his proficiency and efficiency uh, throughout big game situations uh, and a lot more consistency than we've seen at the position since Drew hung, uh, hung up the cleats. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network joining us here for the Black and Gold Report. Now now that mini camp's over, you've got a, a couple of weeks before training camp gets underway, you know, late July, early August. What's kind of the game plan o- over the next six weeks for the Saints? Are they looking to still acquire guys at different positions, or do you think that they're pretty set with what they have? I, tell you, I, I think most of the positions are set, uh, but we have seen this team add veterans just before the start of training camp uh, or even a week or so in. And uh, yeah, linebacker is one position to watch very closely. Obviously, they're set with the Mario Davis and Pete Werner, uh, but Davis is also going to uh, is also 33 years old. Warner's been nicked up with injuries and missed a little bit of time over the last couple of years. We saw Caden Ellis have a breakout year with Warner sideline last year, but now, of course, that Caden is gone, who's going to step up? I mean, you know, personally, I, I I think the world of Demarco Jackson, uh, but there's no experience there. Zach Bond has been a poor fit for this defense since he came on, and outside of that, you have a bunch of you know, undrafted rookies or undrafted college players uh, that have little to no NFL experience. And when you factor that in with the fact that you have you have players like Zach Cunningham, uh, Quan Alexander, who is obviously very familiar in this uh, defense, uh, Rashawn Evans, Miles Jack, Deion Jones, Anthony Barr, Jared Davis. Those are the talented linebackers that are still available on the free agent market. I would not be surprised. I'm not surprised that the Saints didn't add a veteran before now because you know they they wanted to give Bond and DeMarco a good hard look through minicamp and OTAs. Um, but if they don't like what they saw from there, or they don't have a high comfort level like they obviously did with Caden Ellis. That's one position that I would expect the Saints to add, uh, you know, add a veteran. Uh, would not be surprised if they brought in another veteran wide out too. Uh, you know, they're really going to make Traquan Smith work for, <laughs> work for his job this year. Um, you know, we've already seen them bring in what four veteran wideouts. Wouldn't be surprised if they kicked the tires on a few more. Uh, Offensive line. I was a little bit surprised that they brought in a uh, an experienced interior lineman, specifically center, like they did Billy Price. Uh, but they obviously they don't want to get burned at injuries along that position again this year. Uh, yeah. So yeah, those are the positions that I would watch closest, starting with the linebacker spot. Now you brought up Demarco Jackson, which is a guy that that I just love, having covered the the Raging mm-hmm. Cajuns for the last four or five years. I, I saw a lot of Demarco Jackson at App State. Um, he's a guy that reminds me a lot, honestly, of Demario Davis. He's yeah. he's a guy that that blows up through the line of scrimmage. He makes plays, and he's a natural born leader. And I, I would love to see New Orleans kind of groom him into Demario's replacement. 
Matt, I couldn't agree more. And I, I obviously do a lot of uh, draft coverage stuff, uh, you know, draft scouting and things like that for the Saints News Network. And coming into the 2022 draft, I felt the exact same way. I know it's hyperbole to, uh, to compare uh, an incoming rookie to an established Pro Bowl veteran. But when, you, when I watched DeMarco Jackson's tape at App State, I thought the same thing. I was like, I'm watching a player the exact same style and demeanor as Demario Davis. And because of that, the coaches do love him. And it's a shame that it's a shame we didn't get to see him in action last year. Uh, yeah, because he, he did go down with a season any injury early in training camp. Um, but obviously these coaches still feel pretty confident about him because uh, all the, all the experienced linebackers that I named before, they had opportunities to sign them. Uh, you know, and Quan, Quan Alexander, especially, that's a known commodity. Yet they left those guys still sitting on uh, you know, out there on the open market because they feel confident enough, obviously, uh, you know, and what they have uh, in DeMarco or maybe Bond, Anthony Orji, uh, the undrafted uh, undrafted rookie linebacker, Nicky Anderson from Tulane. Those are guys that I really like, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I said at the time that I thought the Saints got a steal when they drafted DeMarco in the fifth round. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I are right in this case. And, you know, right. obviously, again, the Saints must like what they see, at least up to this point. Bob Rose of the Saints News Network joining us here for the Black and Gold Report. Bob, appreciate your time as always. And, uh, Jordy, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, my friend. I enjoyed every minute. You have uh, yourself a great week. And there he goes, Bob Rose of the Saints News Network, 332. We'll take a timeout and we return. Blake Graffino of the RU Serious Sports Network. He joins us to talk about LSU and their path to the championship series next. Every day is a Chamber of Commerce kind of day when you're listening to the Jordy Holberg Show. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your hall for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. It is absolutely a Chamber of Commerce day here in Southwest Louisiana. 95 degrees, mostly cloudy, and guess what? Under a heat advisory. Are we surprised? No. Welcome back to the Jordy Holtberg Show inside the FCO Development Studios. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. Once again, the LSU Tigers fell to Wake Forest last night 3-2. They will look to respond against Tennessee in an elimination game. 6 o'clock first pitch, 5.30 pregame right here on the game. To recap last night and to talk about what's next, Blake Rafino of the RU Serious Sports Network joins us here on the game hotline, Blake, what's going on, my man? How are you? What's going on, man? How we doing? Ah, uh, I'd be doing better if LSU would have found a way to get a win last night. <laughs> you know, there's uh, times in life where after our shows, I just go over to the whiskey counter and I open up a good little bottle and uh, just pour a little drink and sit there in my sorrows. And last night was one of those as well. So. Uh, look, bottom line, Matt, I, I mean, everybody knows this or should know this by now. Uh, you cannot go one for 20 with guys from Chavinsky to Pearson, four through nine. It can't happen. I mean, look, you're built as a team to produce runs. And, look, I'm not telling you to produce ten runs, nine runs on your average, but you got to hit with runners in scoring position. 
I don't care about really the Tra- – I do care, but I don't really care about the Trey Morgan incident at home. You have a call. Kate Beloso has never, ever hit a ball to third base, okay? And Jay Johnson talked about that last night. I mean, you can't hit into two double plays with one out and runners in scoring position. Yeah. It, can't ha- it cannot happen. So, look, bottom line, you got to respond. you got to watch last night, and Johnny Holstaff has got has to come big for you today. Now, you, you brought up the, the Trey Morgan incident in the eighth inning, and I agree with you. That didn't yeah. make or break the game. But And I also agree about the Cade Beloso never hitting it to third base. But from my point of view, and, I, and again, hindsight's twenty twenty. but if you're Beloso, why don't you bunt it down the first base line? That runs scoring 10 out of 10 times. I mean, then you'd have to ask Jay, you know. I mean... I, I really don't know. I mean, Matt, I really don't. You, you, so, I mean, I I wish I could tell you. Uh, now, Kay bunted earlier in the year. Look, now, look, we do every one of these postgame shows, okay? And Kay bunted, I want to say, I, I think it was maybe the Tennessee series, believe it or not, if I'm not mistaken. He bunted down the first base line to get in a run. So, we've seen him do it before. But I understand the logic by Jay there. You give him the call, like, hey, look, on contact, Trey, you're gone. And you would just assume that a pull hitter, a guy that's hit everything from center right 98% of the time that he would do it again. But, I mean, look, there's so many things that you could point out to uh, in that. You could point out to, you know, are those really walks in the sixth? Um, but bottom line is, is that you just got to so somebody, Matt, like literally, if you get one more hit between yep. four through nine, you won. Yeah. Okay? Abso- like, absolutely. So, so, I mean, it's not as if like, if one of those dudes gets one hit, you won. And so I, I just sit here and say, man, that, that's a really tough pill to swallow. And then I think the really, the bigger thing for me, the tougher pill to swallow is. I'm okay historically when your team loses by just being dominated or, or just losing on the field. Like if, if the six would have not happened and you would have just really actually walked them and Wake Forest made good plays defensively, okay, look, you lost. But then when you got K-Zone out there and ESPN tracking it, that has a 98.8% percentage accuracy – that's what's more difficult for me than anything of, of everything going on. And I hate blaming referees, umpires. I hate it, but it, that's the small things like the run. One of the runs for Wake Forest should not have scored, right? You could make the argument. I think a very decent argument that none of those runs in the six could should have scored because Ty Floyd threw eight pitches and two at bats and five of them were strikes inside the K zone. So, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I sound like a broken record, I'm sure. <laughs> no, man, you're you're all good because I, I'm right there with you. I'm scratching my head at the same time. But one thing that, that I've got to point out, and, and you, you brought it up perfectly, four through nine went one for 20 last night. You have to think that tonight this high-powered offense is going to respond in, in a big way, right? Well, you would hope so. I mean... The last time that this happened, 
Okay, so so here's the thing, man. How do you respond? In reference to this exact thing almost happened to you at Hoover. Right? You faced two yep. lefties. Now, it wasn't the exact same, but a lefty started the game. You had a two-run inning that you should not have had. Okay? A runner got thrown out of the plate, Travinsky and Morgan. It literally is identical. Okay? Like, you can't make this up. So then you come in against Texas A&M and you crumble. Now what are you going to do? If I'm Jay Johnson, I tell them, and I'm sure they know because their season's on the line, like, guys, you've literally been in this spot before. Like, how crazy is it that Hoover played out almost the same way that this did? An inning in the fifth and an inning in the sixth were their biggest biggest innings, okay? And now you got to come respond. You didn't against A&M, but A&M threw a lefty. Tennessee is not. Now – Beam is a guy for Tennessee who's going tonight who is who is electric. The thing about him is that his and look, I talked we talked to McDonald about this at least for me. Now I could this might just be my opinion, but his fastball command is on point. If you when you watch this guy for Tennessee tonight, he's not going to miss hardly ever. So his command is elite. So you just got to know. And like search the fastball, know that he's going to hit his spots. And if you're sitting on that fastball like you did in April, you'll be fine. But if you don't, he's going to light you up. He's lit everybody up since mid-April. Blake Beam has lit everybody up. So let's hope that they can respond. Now, if you're in Jay Johnson's position, Drew Beam's on the mound tonight for Tennessee. Who do you start against him? I go Riley Cooper. I mean, who else? I mean, the, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the other the other name that I've heard is Javen Coleman. He hadn't thrown in three weeks. You know, do you do you throw Coleman after him not throwing for three straight weeks? You know, now you're gonna have to use him, but the argument that would be made here is, you know, like if you would go to Cooper, and that's been your more reliable guy. Correct. Okay, then. If he's a more reliable guy, then he might come into a game in a situation where it could be two nothing, three nothing, four nothing, and then he's just got to battle down. So, look, I personally I would go Cooper. Now you're going to have to have Johnny Holstaff, okay? And the name that I'm going to throw out to you, Matt, now I, I could be dead wrong. I think Blake Money's going to see some action, okay? That's just. How I feel. I, I see something in him, just some little things that I'm hearing. Um, we'll see. Blake Rafino of the RU Serious Podcast joining us here on the Jordy Holberg Show. Now, if LSU wins tonight and forces that game with Wake Forest tomorrow, does Paul Skeen start tomorrow night? Um, wouldn't that be fr- wouldn't that be um. Wouldn't that be Thursday? Correct. No, they they play Wake tomorrow at at six. Correct. And correct. And then Thursday. if they won that, they'd play again on Thursday. Yeah, I think you'd see Schemes game two. Okay. That's what that's what I would think. I mean, man, that's such a tough decision. I mean. <laughs> Well, no, I mean you're yeah. you're exactly right because you y- you can't really play for tomorrow because there might not be one. 
Right. Yeah, listen, you just – Stains and Floyd are done. I think the only thing – the only thing that I could think of of the guys that you've seen so far that would go of the big righties, I think you could see a Thatcher Hurd scenario and then maybe a Schemes coming in late, maybe. Um, But we'll see. I, I mean, it's a very interesting conversation to have. But Jay has made it well known that he's not throwing schemes, uh, you know, unless he's got three days rest. So that would mean Thursday. So uh, that's what Jay said, Matt. And I don't, I, I don't know if he's going to waver off that because at some point, at some point, his career means more. I mean, look, Paul Maneri did this in seventeen. Alex Lang's throwing ninety-eight miles an hour in the sinker has the most sink in Major League Baseball right now from an inch standpoint through StatCast. So, I don't know, man. I just think you got to get to Thursday. you got to win yeah. tonight. If you, you want to see schemes again, you got to get to Thursday. Now, you brought up the, the fact that LSU's been here before. In 2017, Paul Maneri went through this exact same scenario and got LSU to the championship series. Jay Johnson did it in his first year at Arizona the year before that in 2016. So this this program and this coaching staff are familiar with this situation. How do you get your players to just take it one game at a time? I, I mean, really and truthfully, guys, it's win or go home. I, I mean, like, you know, I, I make this uh, analogy all the time. You got to be like the Vikings. You got to go when they when the Vikings went into war, okay, they would go up on shore and burn their boats and say there's no way back, there's no retreat. So you just got to like you can't worry about tomorrow at all. And I don't look I know Jay has to and he's the only person in America that's got to worry about that. But he, but the problem is you can't even he can't really even worry about that because there is no tomorrow. So I just you gotta lean on your senior leadership. You gotta lean on Dugas, Travinsky, Beloso, Cruz. You gotta lean on those guys, and you gotta hope that they come through for you. And I, th- I really do think that they will. I really think that they're gonna come through for you tonight. I, I, I got that feeling. All right, Blake, give me a score prediction. Five three Tigers. I like it. Same as game one. Same I'll- as game one. I like it. I like it. Blake Rafino with Are You Serious Podcast joining us here on the Jordy Holberg Show. Blake, appreciate your time. Hope the post-game show tonight is, is a little more upbeat than it was last night. And uh, we can talk again soon. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Sorry I was a little late. <laughs> uh, not, a, not a problem, man. Blake Rafino of the Are You Serious Podcast joining us here on the Jordy Holberg Show. We'll take one final timeout, but guess what? Me and James aren't going anywhere. 90 minutes of crunch time coming up here in just a little bit. This is the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The LSU Tigers take on the Tennessee Volunteers tonight in an elimination game at the College World Series. Pre-game begins at 5.30. First pitch is set for 6. And all the action is brought to you right here on the game thanks to Artco Equipment, Arsenal Machine Supply, Bubba Ocelot Toyota Ford, Cybers Bayou Casino, Iggy Castile State Farm, Attorney Paul Brown, The Bank, 
Service Chevrolet Cadillac, Beal and Hernandez, and Tim's Trailers. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to the Jordy Holberg Show 354 right now on your Tuesday afternoon. Bottom of the seventh inning in a College World Series elimination game. TCU leads Oral Roberts 6-1. to one. James Mesh, the clock is approaching midnight. Cinderella's running out of time. Yeah. Cinderella's running out of time. It's unfortunate, but I mean, it's kind of what we expected. Right. I mean, they're a four seed. Yeah. You, Oral Roberts was the one like actual Cinderella. Correct. Underdog. Correct. But we had also looked at TCU and we were like, if it's not Florida in that bracket, we think it's TCU. So this is about what we expect. For sure. Uh, TCU will now have to beat Florida twice if they hang on to, to finish this game. Of course, crazier things have happened. Uh, but it, it's interesting. You know, Oral Roberts made it this far. It's incredibly impressive. Only one four seed has won a national title. And that came back in 2009 when Fresno State won the national champ. Or 2008, I'm sorry, not 2000, 2009 LSU won it. No, 2008 when Fresno State won the national championship in Omaha. They were the first four seed to ever win a national championship. So history was not on the side of Oral Roberts. Um, but look, if if a four seed can make a run at Omaha, they won a game in Omaha. It's incredibly impressive. Um, a, a great story that's probably going to get talked about for, for years to come, and that is just a program-defining moment for a school like Oral Roberts. Once again, the Astros and the Mets, 7-10 tonight. 6-40 is Astro launch. You can hear it over on our sister station, News Talk 98.5. Also, some other big games tonight. Braves-Phillies got some Orioles raised tonight as well. Cardinals-Nats, Marlins-Blue Jays, and the surging Cincinnati Reds will play the Colorado Rockies in a 6-10 first pitch in that one. Want to take the opportunity to thank our guests today, Bob Rose, Blake Rafino, and Brett Chancy for joining us, talking the Astros, talking the Saints, and talking LSU. For the producer, the one and only, Mr. James Mesh. I am Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. If you're able to stick around, 90 minutes of crunch time with James Mesh and myself continues right here on the game. We're going to talk more LSU. We're going to talk more Astros. Wilson Alexander joins us as well as Brian Lalima. Right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.